Blog Talk Radio. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <gasps> I'm as tired as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Are you telling me you built a time machine? This is the Stupid Cancer Show. That's hot. Hello there, children. Hey, hey, kids. <laughs> And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Matthew Zachary. Monday, May 17th, 2010, and welcome back to the Stupid Cancer Show, folks. The voice of young adults with cancer. Got cancer? Under 40? Sucks, huh? Well, get busy living because the Stupid Cancer Show is here to change the world one chemo infusion at a time. Tonight's show is the OMG Summit Preview on Oncofertility. In our Survivor Spotlight, a very special guest, Caleb Egruenu, a young adult cancer advocate from Nigeria, founder and president of Stand Up the Cancer, Najia, in Nigeria. And our expert on co-fertility panel tonight, doctors Leonard Sender, chairman of the board for I2Y, a clinical professor of medicine at the Children's Hospital of Orange County, and Dr. Karen Allbritton, the director of AYA Oncology at the University of North Texas Cook Children's Hospital. As a reminder, this broadcast is a program of the I'm Too Young for This Cancer Foundation on the web at I2Y.com. We help young adults fight cancer every day. We are bringing the cause of cancer under 40 to the national spotlight. Why? Because survival rates and quality of life in young adults have not improved in 30 years. The Stupid Cancer Show would like to thank our major sponsor, Spencer's Gifts. So hello, my friends, and welcome to yet another fun-filled and exciting romp through the hay on tonight's Stupid Cancer Show, where remission is not a cure and survivorship is all that matters. And a stupid cancer welcome to any and all of our first-time listeners here on the Blog Talk Radio Network, broadcasting live from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. I am Matthew Zachary, a 14-year young adult survivor of pediatric brain cancer. Please welcome my official partner in crime here on the Stupid Cancer Show, hailing right here from New York City, 15-year young adult breast cancer survivor, acclaimed journalist, former deputy editor of TV Guides, and former entertainment news correspondent for the Fox News Channel, the lovely and talented Lisa Bernhard. Matthew, you rock. How are you? Welcome, welcome, welcome. And uh, unfortunately, um, Dr. Jack Bouffard, <laughs> vice president of grassroots advocacy and chief cancer anarchist for the I'm Too Young for This Cancer Foundation, is taking his first sabbatical in the history of his tenure with this program. Uh, why? Because we kicked him off the continent. That's why. We let him cross borders. Yes. 
Yes, he is. He swam through international waters on a raft. <laughs> no, it was a door on a door. <laughs> and he landed in Barcelona, and he is giving a uh, a, a, a Huck Finn style. Huck Finn style. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. And <laughs> he's giving a um, a coquina on a panel in Barcelona for the Barcelona Digital Group, which is a European Union social media event organization. And he is representing the young adult cancer community of the United States. He's representing. He's totally representing. He's giving my presentation in his words. He owns a suit. He's going to shower and shave. Well, we're not there to see that. No, we're not going to see that. Rumor has it he's going to clean himself up very nicely. Wow. So um, it it should be a really good thing. We wish him all the best of luck. And I'm sorry he can't join us tonight. Uh, He is six hours ahead of us, so it is like 4 a.m. or something so like he's that. he's partying his brains out right now. Yeah, he's he's El Drunko. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he talked, did you see Matt? Because he's been, he's been tweeting and Facebooking and stuff, and he's been saying that uh, Barcelona is rocking right now, I guess, because there was a big soccer tournament in Spain. Yeah, they won something. And they won something big. And yes. so he said the city went nuts. Yeah. Um, I had sort of had this vision of him trying to run through the streets, you know, bare-chested, <laughs> celebrating like he was one of the... Uh, I just see Billy Crystal in Pomplona <laughs> from, um, what was that movie? Uh, city the, Slickers. Uh, city Slickers, right. city, I see Jack running from the Bulls in Pomplona. He landed in the wrong city, right. and he's just running from the Bulls. <laughs> he's going to come back with a giant staple stitch in his anus. <laughs> That's likely. For the visual. For the visual out there, yeah. people. It's radio. We've got to give you normally, a visual. And normally not the one from the diaper that's usually stapled to his No, bum. no, no, no. Not the no. boot pampers. The boot pampers. This is, I have to say this is very exciting, and now you can hear me better. I have this fabulous new microphone set up here. We pimped your ride. It's so sweet. <laughs> it is so sweet. This is like all professional. It's like Howard Sternish. <laughs> it is. Oh, gosh. Scary. Um, well, yeah. we, ha- we have to just acknowledge that our, our fabulous broadcast production assistant, Amanda Freeman, is in studio tonight. She is not Ow. quite taking Jack's place, but she certainly looks better in that chair than he does. Well, what a compliment. Thank you, Matt. Not really much of a compliment, but it's still a compliment because Jack <laughs> just lowers the bar. We just carbon neutraled it. <laughs> <laughs> and Jack doesn't sit there and knit the same way that Amanda no, does. No, no. She's sitting there and she's knitting. This is this new talent of hers. Yes. I ha- a deadline. I gotta, I gotta keep working. I mean, you know, Christmas is around the corner, and I've got like ten people to make gifts for. Christmas is in, yeah, seven months. Yeah. And I've got ten people to make <laughs> gifts for. She's panicked already. Well, we have um, uh, some some interesting stuff to talk about before we get to our our first guest, who I'm so excited about. Um, Me too. His name is. I'm gonna pronounce his name wrong because I'm not Nigerian, but I have That's here. No excuse. No, no excuse for me. Uh, his name is Caleb Egruinu, and he'll correct me when he gets on the line later. Sorry, but, Caleb. Um, he he, um, he um, approached me via email a couple of months ago about how uh, they found out about us in Africa. I have no idea how, but I guess we're doing something right. And that he runs a franchise of Stand Up to Cancer out there uh, and that helps do all these amazing um, services for women with cervical cancer and breast cancer and just, like... It's such a small world that cancer affects everybody, regardless of where you are, and it's definitely something global and the little world of the Internet that brings us all together. So it's I'm such yeah. a neat thing. <laughs> and now we've got all these Facebook friends from Nigeria. Right. Every day I'm friended by these folks, and it's fantastic to be connected. I mean, that's the best thing about social media to me is the fact that we're connected such long distances with these folks. They've got incredible stories. He's run incredible events there. Uh, there was a recent cervical and breast cancer screening that I know that Caleb was in charge of 
over in Nigeria, and just to see the feedback that he got from the local folks who were so happy and grateful that he had put something like that together yeah. for the local women, really inspiring. Incredible, incredible, incredible. And we can't wait to have him on the line in just a few minutes. To, uh, Good stuff. But uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll see here. We'll see here. I just Some really just quick stuff before we get to the news after his segment is I do want to – well, let's just do this because we can talk about this later – Every now and then on the radio show, we have a reality check in the sense that, yes, young adults uh, really don't necessarily get um, the, uh, the recognition for all the accomplishments they make because we talk about how they need a bigger voice. But at the end of the day, many of us don't survive. And the, night, the idea of that survival rates have not terribly improved much in 30 years still holds true that, you know, the reality is, um, we put up a fight, we do our best, we live strong, we get busy living, we do all the things that we're supposed to do to, to see ourselves through, and unfortunately, many of us don't make it. And uh, on occasion here on the radio show, we do pay tribute to several survivors who are close to the organization, and um, we lost three this week. And just a real quick mention for the I2I San Francisco chapter, uh, Scott Anthony Snyder and Devin Rackle uh, lost their battle this week. And up in uh, I2I Canada in Montreal, a uh, young woman, beautiful, beautiful young woman um, with a beautiful baby, uh, had brain cancer and um, went through end of life and palliative care, and she passed this week. Her name was Weifun Chang, and her husband Fred uh, and I met when I was up in um, uh, Montreal earlier last year, really? and she's an extraordinary person. I mean, everyone's an extraordinary person when they go through this, but it's it never gets old. It's really unfortunate. It's the reality of what we do, but we really try to honor those who fall and celebrate their life in the lines of the fact that we are young adults. Our voice is still needed. We have so much work to do, even though we've come so far in three years in this organization. So just a brief moment of silence. Uh, for Scott, Devin, Wayfun, and anyone out there who has lost uh, a young adult um, in their lives. Okay. Now, on that okay. sobering note, <laughs> yeah. let's uh, let's see if we can get Caleb on the line here. Um, he doesn't really need a, uh, a specific introduction. I'm not going to play any cue music because I know he's calling in. No cheesy um, 80s music no, for, for Caleb? No cheesy 80s music for the Nigerian survivor advocate that, we're not that we love. That on? It's my no. favorite part. <laughs> it's always my favorite part. But um, I want to see if we got him. Uh, Caleb, do we have you? Caleb, can you hear us? Caleb, can you hear us? Right. Hmm. Hmm. Well, we're going to keep his line open <laughs> in the hopes that if he calls back in, he'll just start talking and we'll hear him. Hello, Nigeria. Hello, Nigeria, for those of you that are listening. But I will just read his bio real quick in that um, Caleb is a seasoned businessman, to say the least. He is the CEO of Kalmana Integrated Services Limited. He is also the president and founder of Stand Up the Cancer, Naja, and a passion-driven young man. He lost his aunt three years ago to invasive cervical cancer and has had lots of cousins um, uh, lost to leukemia or who have survived leukemia. And ever since uh, 2008, 
He really championed the advocacy of cancer in Nigeria, most especially among the youths in the country. His organization has reached thousands of young adults in Nigeria and beyond the shores of his country. Born on January 13, 1983, he's a computer science graduate. He's been made an ambassador by three different organizations. He's given an award for his efforts in the healthcare sector in Nigeria. I mean, you don't get much better than that. You know, I'm not, you know, these people who are so accomplished who were born in 1983, still, born in the 80s, and you've done that much. I'm a little bit older than that, if you haven't have noticed. But uh, he's, he sounds fantastic. We're excited to speak to him. I and think he's back. Caleb, is that you? I thought I heard him for a second. Yeah, there. I thought I heard something for just a brief second. Well, we got we got two two lines open right now that apparently coming internationally. Oh, you gotta love the internet and technology. Yeah. Hello, Caleb. Hello, Caleb. Well, well both we lines are open. If we hear you, we could just yeah. start just start talking yeah, Caleb, if you just, can hear us. If you can hear us, just jump in, Caleb. Yeah. But uh, at the same time, uh, let's go over some interesting news here. Um, I did want to mention this one quick thing before we get to the general news because I know everyone wants to know about my kids, which is always. <laughs> Of course. We're always yes. talking about my kids now. Um, Kobe and Hannah. Kobe and Hannah, yes. <laughs> Are they uh, calling in tonight? Yes, yes, they are. Uh, They're on uh, these uh, micro uh, Wi-Fi. He doesn't make any noise. He really rarely makes noise. She goes smart. like this. He's a smart man. He's start, starting off well. Let the woman talk. No, he's got my good looks and Jessica's sensibility. So, <laughs> so uh, breast cancer advocates. Uh, from around the world will be at the National Breast Cancer Coalition Advocacy Training uh, in uh, May 22nd to 25th in Washington. Um, but our good friend, Dr. Sue Ann Mark, sure. sexologist to the stars from San Francisco, will be there to represent young breast cancer survivors and the young adult movement. And uh, she represents, um, you know, when you, rece- when you sign up for this, you'll receive a conference updates and be counted among the people she represents during lobby day on Capitol Hill. This is a formidable event. She asked me to make a mention of it. So it's a very complicated website. Hopefully, Amanda, you want to type this into the chat room. It's, um, <laughs> we'll try this on the air. How good are you at dictation, Amanda? No, it's, it's uh, takeaction.stopbreastcancer.org slash go to slash Dr. Sue Ann Mark. That's good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> Amanda gets a raise. If no, this will be on Facebook and Twitter uh, tomorrow morning for everyone to, nice. to hear about. So rest assured, the universe will find out about it. And then also, uh, not to pimp uh, our own show out here again, but we will because what the heck. She was fantastic. If you missed the sex tips last week, go back and download the show and listen to Dr. Sue Ann Mark and all that she contributed with um, Johnny Immerman and Tamika Felder in terms of uh, sexuality and relationships. That was Sage Bolte. You know what? Scratch that. Well, that we was forgive Sage you. Bolte. I love you. No, no. Sage Bolte is <laughs> the hard. is the Wicked Witch of the East, and Sue Ann Mark is the Wicked Witch of the West. And when I say wicked, I mean incredibly sexfully articulate in using the word dildo in a clinical fashion. So go back and listen to. Well, we did have Sue Ann. We yes. did have her on the We had Sue Ann show. and Sage on. It was a double both, sex. And intense. they both start with an S. Sorry, Sage, and sorry, <clears throat> Sue Ann. Uh, but you know what? Listen to both shows now. Listen Sage's to every show, show we've ever done. And Sue Ann's show. They were both good shows. And it, they're, both, they're both about sex, so Just, why yes, not? Yes, exactly. Just listen to every every single show we've ever done in the history <laughs> of the broadcast. And by the way, I do want to mention that, and this gets a round of applause, 
Um, next Monday is our official three-year anniversary. So it gets it gets just, we'll get the big applause next week. But for the Stupid Cancer Show hitting its third birthday next Monday. I'll applaud that. I've only been on board since January. No, that's good. That's fantastic. And I again in in, in tooting our own horn again to everyone that's out there. Uh, we added yet another 5,000 listeners since, since last Monday, peaking us at nearly 70,000 listeners worldwide. That's really exciting. It's really amazing. It's, it's unbelievable. It's really exciting. We are so grateful for the people who listen to the show and contribute to the show and write into us and come in on as guests. Such an amazing yes. community, smart people, engaged people. It's, it's just And amazing. they're forgiving because Jack's still on the show. <laughs> Very forgiving. Most of all, very forgiving listenership and out there. You know, they're they're caregivers and loved ones, and right, not necessarily directly affected by cancer, um, but they are all a part of our community, and we're, we're thrilled to welcome everybody. Kayla, did we hear you? We heard something. We heard that. We heard some noise. Anyway, Christy is diligently working on getting him on the show. So when he gets here, Christy, our uh, producer. Yeah, Christy, our producer is direct, diligently working. On getting him on the show here, but let's continue the conversation here. Obviously, yesterday was the proudest day of my life. Fantastic! Because it was the bris of my son. Snip snip. Snip snip, and the baby naming of my daughter. No snip snip. I keep saying so. One, you have two kids. One got his genitals chopped, but didn't get a name, and only the other one got a name. Well, technically, the bris is the naming of the man, of right. the boy, okay. of the male. He is officially Jewish now. Right. Um. <laughs> Of course, having the name Kobe Evan Greenswag wasn't Jewish enough, apparently. Yeah, nice job. Yeah, and Hannah Rachel Greenswag. There you go. <laughs> but, yes, uh, yesterday, um, 50 of our nearest and dearest uh, friends and, and relatives flocked to my parents' house in Staten Island. I've been to many brisses, but I've never been, like, front row. <laughs> and i got to tell you, i got to give my son credit. He's two weeks old. He didn't cry. Wow. Nothing. Wow. Not a peep out of that kid, except for when they started holding him down. But once the rabbi started the procedure, not a peep. They stuck a bottle in his mouth. He could have cared less what they were doing to him. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And then, of course, when he was done, they threw like a little wine in his mouth. He slept for like a day. He just woke up. Yeah. But Amanda was there. She got to see the whole thing. Kind of like Jack, used to being kicked in the nuts and then drinking (laughs) and going to bed. Exactly. (laughs) Not, Not feeling a thing. Exactly, exactly. Um... So, yeah, I mean, what a, again, just the nachas, as we say in, in Yiddish, the, the good feelings, the good will, the, the positive energy is just unbelievable. I know you didn't have anything in your throat just then. No, no, no popcorn stuff. That was legitimate Jew. <laughs> all Jew. All Jew. I was kvelling with nachas. All Jew all the say. time. Yes, exactly. With Matthew. That's why we love him. So we have a Cora, Jack's girlfriend in the chat room, said that Hannah got the better end of that deal yesterday. I'm going to agree, only specifically because... Um, all women, I think, at the better end of the deal. You believe that? I do believe that. Spoken like a true man. Yeah. <laughs> Spoken because, like a true man. You know why? Man. Because we can't throw as much shit as you, nearly as much as you could throw as much shit at us. So you win. Yeah, of course. Well, okay. We'll just settle between for pregnancy- not having equal pay. <laughs> <laughs> no, between like <laughs> menstrual cycles and pregnancy and... Physical appearances and social oh, stigmas. Oh, yeah, we can throw and, shit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You guys we win. You, you guys all we totally win. We couldn't get a credit card as of, you know, until about 20 years ago. Right. So exactly. let us be able to throw shit. He just wrote that he's on now. 
Oh, Caleb. Caleb, are you here? Actually, um, tried, I tried. I kept on trying. You know, I'm, I could, they couldn't hear me. You know, but now happy to hear me. All right, Caleb, you get applause, man, from Nigeria. Caleb Egwuenu. Yeah. <laughs> welcome to the radio show, man. How the hell are you? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm great. I'm doing great. You know, it's um, so good to be on the on the show, and I'm I'm uh, pretty sure that lots of um, my Nigerian friends and people of Stand of Gaza, Nigeria, actually awake at this time. It's about um, 2 a.m. or so, you know. Oh, wow. And I'm sure people are awake, you know, listening to the show, yeah. Well, I, you have to let me know, did I pronounce your last name correctly? Okay, pronounce it. Stop it here. Pronounce it. Egwenu? Yeah, it's right. Egwenu. Yeah, it's the same. Egwenu. You know, uh, it's... Yeah, Egwenu, yes, that's, Egwenu. that's the right um, pronunciation. Yes, yes. Not bad for a Jew from New York. Yeah. Not, not bad. <laughs> well, I, I'm so... I, I don't know if you were able to hear the show while you were trying to get on the show, but we were singing your praises because we were so humbled and flattered that we, that, that we found our way to Africa somehow, and you guys took a hold of us, yeah. and we got to know who you are and see all the incredible stuff that you're doing out there. Talk to us a little bit about what it's like to do cancer advocacy and support in your neck of the woods. Yeah, like um, in Nigeria or uh, in Africa, um, we don't really hear much about um, cancer. You know, it's not um, uh, that uh, popular, as you might say, you know, in the Western world. Um, because we've had this belief that cancer is actually a disease of the Western world is not, um, we believe that, uh, we've always believed that it's something that always ha- only happens to white people. But um, we've found out uh, recently that uh, cancer has started killing lots of people. And the prominent cancers we have in Nigeria and in the rest of Africa is breast, cervical, and prostate. You know, and uh, at the time, um, in the 90s, it was said, okay, maybe it only happens to people who are 50 years and above. But as time has gone on now, we found out that uh, it started happening to people who are younger. We have patients, because we're fully um, managed patients. We have patients, presently we have a girl who is 14 years old, and she has ovarian cancer. You know, so the, the awareness is not that much, but we're trying our best to see how to push for the awareness. You know, we have lots of awareness on HIV uh, and AIDS here in Africa, but the the truth is that cancer equally cancer kills more than HIV, tuberculosis, and malaria combined. But they don't talk much about cancer, so that's why we're trying with our advocacy to um, actually um, see that this um, is pushed forward, um, not only to talk about it, to actually um, create steps in um, early detection. That's how we started um, our screening program called the Mass Breast and Cervical and Cancer Screening. We've been doing it in the nation's capital, and we've taken it to some places because we need funds to actually do these things. Most of the publicity and work that goes into it needs funding, and most of the time you find out that we use our own money to, to fund um, um, most of the projects um, that we have. We don't really have much support, you know, from the government. Although the last um, 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 first lady, 
she was a little bit supportive because in our program last year, she was in two of our programs. You know, though she didn't give any money, but um, she graced the occasion. Um, so we're praying and we're, we're still trying, you know, our best to see that uh, the, the, um, the, uh, the message goes out, not just to the urban area, but to the rural area. But Nigeria is, in, in, in Nigeria is um, such a community that for you to get to the grassroots, uh, you have to um, double off your efforts. And by doubling off your efforts, that means you need um, more funding, which is not really common. But we're still trying our best. With the little that we have, we're still trying our best. So where do you mainly get your, your funding from then, Caleb? Yeah, it's personal. Like um, the, we have um, a group of young people who are who have run their own businesses like I I run my own business uh, my friends you know they run their own business they bring we bring our money together to fund this um, we've not had any special funds from anywhere at all we've not so it's personal funds that we've been using and a lot of them other um, NGOs on Tanta actually don't get funding but when, when you find um, NGOs on HIV on malaria they get funding from the government We've tried to to talk to the minister, the former minister, before he was moved, and the new one is you know been put in place now. I've been putting, you know, we tried talking to him, but not much has been gotten from the government. So, at all. so young adult professionals like yourself coming together with the money that you make from your own outside businesses funding this, um, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, that's I wanted, it. I wanted to ask you too that's, if, that's if, if 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 this is a. Uh, if this is a layer of, of concern with cancer. I know I met a woman actually from Kenya who had breast cancer, and she said that it was such a taboo in her country to have breast cancer that her husband wouldn't speak to her and his parents wouldn't talk to her, and it basically ended her marriage, and she was an outcast because she had breast cancer. Is that um, something, does that happen similarly in Nigeria as well? It happens. It happens in Nigeria. Um, last year, we did um, a hospital visitation to one of the leading um, hospitals, tertiary hospitals in Nigeria, uh, based here in Abuja. It's called the National Hospital, and we found a lady, you know, at that place that told us that her husband left her. She lost her child. You know, the letter. You know, um, they, they call it a taboo. Yes, because when they see something, you know, growing in your breast and most of the time, the stages that um, people in Africa present is in the late stages. You know, so you find out that the lesions are actually fungating. Right. And most of the time, when the husband sees that, they, they, they think maybe it's one juju or something, you know, or maybe a god or something that is um, inflicting on the, the lady. There have been cases like that where people are abandoned, you know, just because they have cancer. And because the other one is cervical cancer. Yeah, in cervical cancer, you know, because of the bleeding, the constant bleeding, you know, um, because of the presentation, they present it late too, um, you find out that most husbands, they leave, they leave, they leave their wife, which is, which, is not, which is not meant to be. But so you find it, it happens, they call it a taboo, yeah. Yeah, so essentially what you're saying is the cancer is discovered so late, usually at a late stage, where it presents as something visible, whether it's bleeding, cervical, or something you can see in the breast, that it is considered some sort of sign that perhaps they were cursed and were given something terrible by God and therefore can be ostracized yeah. by the community. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's painful. It's quite painful. 
I actually started this. I lost my aunt in you know, cervical cancer. And the thing is that um, they, they, they didn't diagnose that cervical cancer first. Uh, the, the first told that she had fibroid, you know, from fibroid was lesser when it was on the left stage and her cancer was invasive, you know, to when it has even, you know, left the cervix and traveled before they actually knew that it was cervical cancer and she died. So those are the cases. That's why it pains most of the time to, to see people, I, like I tell people, even on Facebook and people I meet um, face to face, it's um, it's painful to see people die of something that could be prevented. That's why we actually are going forward with um, the screening programs that we're having. And we've been having, and it's it, you know from the statistics that we we've, we've been getting, you know from our screening, we've screened more than a thousand five five hundred women, and from the statistics, one out of every ten women has um, an abnormality in her cervix. In, the time, in terms of cervical cancer, and for breast cancer, we find at least one lump in every 15 to 20 women. And wow. so that means this is, in, is on the increase. So if it's left for the next five, ten years, it's something that would um, it's um, it would be a sorry state. And Africa is known for okay, um, you start working when the thing is getting very, very bad. But now that it's not that bad, you know, things are not still, they're not um, encouraging, they're not um, helping the, the fight. You know, that's a painful aspect of it. Wow. So how, 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 how was it for you, uh, Caleb, to get involved with Stand Up to Cancer in Nigeria? How did you find out about it, make your way, set it up, and then even find your way to us at I2Y? Okay, um, I do. I love the internet. I studied computer science in in the university, so I love the internet. I do a lot of search. So I came across some um, stand up to cancer in an organization in America. Um, I came I came across them, and uh, they were they said that you could start up a, a team under them. So I started the team, and I called the team Stand Up to Cancer Ninja. I called that. I, I put I put Ninja because. Nigeria is something, it's like a code, a slang or a code name for Nigeria. So I put Stand Up to Cancer Nigeria, Got it. you know, um, with a group. But I found out mm-hmm. that um, for us to be able to operate in Nigeria, we have to um, get um, legal, um, legal from, uh, get it legal you know, from the government. We got it registered. I got my friends that equally shared the same passion, you know, not just um, people who are just the people who have had um, one way or the other had someone who died of cancer. You know, we got together and we, we started up the, the, the work here in Nigeria. At first it wasn't easy, you know, having to bring in our own money wasn't easy, but when you do something that you actually love, something that you're passionate about, you're not uh, really concerned that much about the your funds that are going into it. When you see that, yes, a lot of results is being gotten out, you know, from what you're doing. So we've been, you know, we we are, we we are now okay. To the aspect of meeting you guys, actually, um, it was on online on Facebook, and I got to meet Matthew, and he was just receptive. I I, I sent him an email, and he replied, and he was so happy. I'm like, wow! And then, you know, we've, we found like um, people who could actually look up to, who could actually inspire us. You know, that's how we connected to. Um, I'm too young for this. Um, and cancer uh, foundation, you know, we, uh, we and we could actually say now people have seen. Yeah, people have seen. Uh, now we are um, we are members of of an organization in Europe called 
European Coalition of Cancer Patients. You know, it just happened that um, they, we, we sent most of the work that we did, we do to them, and they made us members. And actually, we are the only African members that uh, people, uh, African organizations, that are members of this um, particular organization in Europe. And in, in June, sometime in June, we'll be going for a meeting on biobanking, on how to help to, you know, further this advocacy work, you know. So it's, it's been God. You know, when you do something and God is in support of it, you know, actually, it goes on. You don't have to stress yourself that much about it. So that's how we've been going on. Caleb, we could we could we could spend all night talking to you. This is really fascinating, and we hopefully we'll get to we'll join forces and work on some bigger, larger project with you. Um, I'm just quickly before we wrap up here. I'm just curious to know what is your um, what is your business? What is um, Calmina Integrated Services? Yeah, we are into car hire. We're into car hire. We do. Um, we call it a chauffeur, a chauffeur-driven car. Oh, chauffeur-driven cars. cars that we, okay. Yes, yeah, we do car hire. Yeah, we do car hire. You know, in 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 Abuja, you know, which is the um, federal capital. You know, so we have fleets of cars that we actually put on the road and we drive us. You know, so people hire the cars. You know, that's what we do. So that's what gives me a little bit of, um, would I say, um, time to work more on the organization on Stand Up Cancer Ninja, you know, so it's not like a white-collar job where um, I'm, like, going to work in the morning and coming in the evening. It might not give me that much time. And equally, we do supplies, contracts, you know, um, from we source contracts from the government, maybe supplies, you know, to do, you know, from the government. So we're, like, five different terminal integrated services. So we have a lot of services. We have supplies, and we have the car hire, you know, um, company under Carmen Integrated Services. Got it. So that gives you time to work in the organization. Well, it's, I, I studied Nigeria when I was in college. It was one of my favorite classes. I remember reading one of your most famous uh, authors, Chinua Achebe. Is that right? Yes, yeah, Chinua is right? a famous yeah, writer in Nigeria. He's a, yeah. Right. Yes, He's yes, a famous, yes. famous Nigerian author. And uh, I was fascinated by it. It sounds like an amazing place. And what you, what you are doing, um, we so applaud and admire and can't wait to meet you in person one of these days. Yeah, I'm so sorry that we weren't able to, to get you out here for the summit next week. I know we, we did our best working with the embassy and the consulate, but uh, hopefully next year we can, we can get a bigger jump on it and get you out here. Yeah, that, that, definitely, definitely, definitely. That, that, that would be nice, at least. It will help us. It's not really we 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 need um um to actually know some other things like what well, it's like what they call the the brain drain. You know, we learn things from from you guys because you've been there. You know, and you you're open to a lot of opportunities. You know, so we just learn a lot of things from you how you do your things and you know ways and so to so improve you know our work our advocacy work here in Nigeria to actually make it um really, really good. So I think that the uh, meeting you is just like a miracle. And um, I, I, could tell, I, could, I could tell you that we've learned a lot from, from you, even without seeing you from, you know, reading your works, you know, things that you post online, and we read them, we get inspiration from that, we, we learn new things. So it's, it's something, you know, that um, uh, is priceless. Meeting you is actually priceless to us, you know. Well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. We, I'd like to do an entire show on on cancer in Africa Absolutely. next season. So uh, we're in touch on Facebook all the time. We'll email all the time. 
definitely plan to come back on the show this fall. Thank you so much for everything. You really put so much stuff in perspective for us, and uh, I can't wait to meet you in person one day. Yeah, the same, the same thing here. I can't wait to meet you too. Um, thank you for the work you're doing. Uh, one, yeah, yeah, uh, and and the, the 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 thing is that we don't know the number of lives that we're touching, but the truth is that when we get to the other world, when we get to the next world, which uh, you know, when God tells us that yes, you've touched this number of lives, we'll be surprised. So I, I'm so happy about the work you're doing, and uh, we know that um, God will actually give you more strength to do the work you're doing, and equally give us more strength to do the work we're doing here in Africa. Thank you so much. Well, God bless you and everyone out there. Thanks, Keep in Caleb. touch. We'll be on Facebook and all that. Caleb Agwenu from Nigeria. Agwenu from, I'm so bad, from Nigeria. Wow. What a cool guy. My goodness. That was really... That's like, I'm sorry to every guest we ever had. That was the coolest <laughs> guest we've ever had. Yeah, apologies. I'm sorry to Fran Drescher <laughs> and Lance Armstrong <laughs> and Doug Allman and... Sage Bolte Sage and, Bolte and Jack Buffard and Lenny Sender. Yeah, in Caleb all seriousness. Yeah. He wins. So uh, we're running a little late, but I just want to talk about a couple of quick things here um, before we bring on uh, Lenny and Karen, which is obviously the OMG Summit is this weekend. It is um, starting off on Saturday night at 7 p.m. here in uh, the Financial District with a major cocktail party. We're expecting over 200 people to come for drink specials and all this amazing food we just bought from Fresh Direct. And uh, then Sunday kicks off the third annual OMG Cancer Summit. We are expecting over 400 people to be there. Um, Given the 10% drop-off rate, we'll probably cut in around 360 or 370. But I am so excited. Everyone is so excited uh, for this conference coming up on Sunday, the All-Star Game. Except Literally. For me, who's bummed she's not going to be there. Yeah, so next time I will book the entire conference around your travel schedule. Thank you. To Would avoid you? having you to be missing you so much. I really am this bummed. weekend. And once again, I've gotten such nice Facebook emails from folks and folks in the chat room who said, can't wait to meet, and I can't wait to meet everybody out there. But unfortunately, before hooking up with uh, the knuckleheads that are Jack Buffard and Matthew Zachary, had a, tri- <laughs> had a trip booked and will not be at the OMG Summit. But I will be at the UnGala yes. come June, Which folks. is the second thing, is that the, um, the UnGala, the fourth annual Stupid Cancer UnGala, is our signature no black tie, no ice sculpture little shindig that we do every year here in new york oh wait no ice sculpture no i'm not coming to that <laughs> no ice sculptures <laughs> no black ties um and uh that is on june 10th here in new york and if you can't attend we're trying to raise thirty thousand dollars we don't usually use the radio show as a plea for fundraising but, but please but please it's our annual fundraiser uh if you cannot attend we have this very special uh angel sponsored ticket for thirty dollars if you can afford thirty dollars please consider being an angel sponsor and uh, supporting us so that we can make all the cancer survivors that can't afford to come, come for free. And to keep us uh, doing what we're doing every single day, helping young adults fight cancer. One quick last thing about the summit is we launched this today. We are having uh, five different panels of experts on Sunday. And we are requesting that if you are coming to the summit, or even if you're not coming to the summit, and you would like to submit questions for the panelists, We are going to be going through the questions and presenting the questions to the panelists live on Sunday. You might hear your question asked at the OMG Summit. 
Send your questions to omgsummit at i2y.com. That's omgsummit at i2y.com. Send your questions with regard to oncofertility, legal and employment, sex and relationships, social media advocacy, or general survivorship. Send your emails. There's a chance we just might read your question live at the summit. So, and uh, finally, a quick congratulations to Emily Hobson from I2I Los Angeles. She is Zach Efron's cousin. Love Emily. Emily just wrapped up her treatment and is now officially a one-year cancer survivor. Applause. She gets this applause. You know, because whenever anyone hits the one-year cancer anniversary, that's the sweetest one. Five's the next one, ten's the next one, and then you forget about it. She's a badass bald chick. They're actually, 15. You make 15 look really good. Oh, thank you, Matt. So, and then, of course, we have to thank Leah Shearer, who's in our chat room tonight. Who, who we always say, go to bed, Leah. Leah. That's Leah Shearer. Leah Shearer uh, st- yeah, launched new. the very first I2I chapter in Rochester, and she was just awarded by the Democratic Chronicle as... Woman of the Century. No, I made that up. I don't know the actual name of the award. Uh, but the Rock City Coalition honored her with, I don't know, she'll probably type it in the chat room at some point. But she wants a major thing, and she's uh, uh, an emerging leader and a woman in healthcare and a something, something. So congratulations to Leah Shearer. Uh, you rock my world. You are the epitome of why I started this organization, and uh, we love you to death. And finally, um, I just want to let everyone know, we can talk about the President's Cancer Panel with the oncologists when they get on the show, but Cause World, people, Cause World, that's CauseWorld.com. CauseWorld.com is the coolest, and I'm making this up, coolest way, (laughs) I mean, I'm not even making it up, I mean, I'm I'm extemporaneously speaking about it because I have nothing can to speak about. It is the coolest way to help I2I make tons of money by doing absolutely nothing except using your phone. If you go to causeworld.com or causeworld.org, one of them, and download the app on your iPhone, iPod Touch, or Android, all you really have to do is click one button, and we get 10 cents. And so far, over 20 million people have been using CauseWorld and donated over, I think it's close to a million dollars, which is extraordinary. I just found out today some of the statistics. Um, the Haiti Fund got over 10 million points through CauseWorld, which is $100,000. We've gotten 75,000 points in our first month. Sweet. So we got $7,500 from CauseWorld in our first month. If you have any questions, call me, email me. We want to get everyone here using CauseWorld. You can help us. You can help Haiti. You can help Carbon Offset. It's an extraordinary tool. It's getting all sorts of press. And... Uh, so with that, I'm going to introduce our, uh, our two oncology uh, specialists here, and we can talk about all sorts of interesting, interesting things, oncofertility and otherwise. So without further ado, let me run our, uh, our fabulous intro music. What time is it? 9.43. Okay. Dr. Karen Albritton currently helms the AYA Oncology Program at Cook Children's Hospital at the, at, in the University of North Texas Health Science Center in Fort Worth after serving as the director of the AYA Oncology Program at Dana-Farber. She is also the past chair of the Adolescent and Young Adult 
committee within the Children's Oncology Group and was co-chair of the National Cancer Institute's Progress Review Group on Adolescent and Young Adult Oncology. And Dr. Lenny Sender, returning champion, as we affectionately call him Lenny, speaks with the funniest accent I've ever heard and rarely understand what he's saying. He uses a Bluetooth headset which makes about every fourth word understandable when he's talking on the phone, but he's calling from a landline tonight, so hopefully we'll understand what he's talking about. Aside from that, he received his medical education in South Africa, again Africa, at the University of Witwatersrand in Johannesburg and completed his pediatrics internship and residency at the University of California, Irvine, where he's currently the director of pediatric hematology oncology and one of the nation's foremost leaders in young adult clinical care, research, and advocacy. And again, chairman of I2I doesn't get much better than that. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Drs. Leonard Sender and Karen Albritton. Welcome, our esteemed guests. How was that? That was great. Hi, Mary. Hi, Lisa. I did you justice? Yeah, so I only have to be a fourth as smart as Lenny. If, if I, you can understand all my words and only a fourth of his. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> See, we're trying to make it easy for our Perfect other guests. Evening. Thank you. So I let, let's. Trying, I keep trying to go and get my accent retrained, but also, <laughs> I actually thought I did pretty good. No, you do good. When you're on the landline, we understand what you're saying. When you're, when you're in the Mercedes driving the 405 on your Bluetooth and the, with the AT&T connection, not a pretty picture. you just jealous because it's often snowing and you're freezing your little... No, I'm jealous because no, you have a Mercedes. I was going to say we're jealous because we have a Mercedes, exactly. That's a mad so, so let's get right into it because next week is the OMG Summit. Clearly it was uh, as important as it is to talk about the psychosocial issues of dating and sexuality and relationships and employment and social media, the clinical components, oncofertility, general oncology in this sector is really something that needs to have much deeper conversation. Can either of you uh, take a moment to just talk about the state of the union when it comes to where we are in the world of young adult oncology and clinical trials and, and biology? Uh, start with Karen. I think we're at an exciting point. I, you know, I, the tipping point is an overused phrase, but it's close, you know, in AOA oncology. I feel like we've gained so much momentum um, over the last five years. It's the, the difference now for me when I say I'm an AYA oncologist and I don't get this squished up face that says, Aya, what, huh? <laughs> <laughs> It, it, it's now um, I, I have respect, you know, and my mother's proud of me. I, I, it's not this um, stepchild. It's clearly sort of on the scene. We, we have um, a level of reputation and respect with the NCI, with all the national organizations. What we don't have yet is all the answers. So I, I think that's where now the next push has to come. The really We have to back up this being on the playing field with good play, and we have to um, finish a lot of the studies that we've started. We have to get some answers um, to the burning questions, of which there are thousands. Lenny? Yeah, really well said. I actually just want to jump back one step. First of all, today, President Obama just nominated the new head of the NCI, which is Harold Varmus. And that's quite amazing. Harold Vomis won the Nobel Prize. He's a great researcher. He's the president and head of Sloan Kettering. And I think that's a great person 
to become the new director of the MCR. So that's breaking news today. And I, we at I2I obviously want to applaud him. I think it's a great decision, it's a great person, and hopefully will allow us to do the research that Karen's talking about. And hopefully we'll have the, get to him and get an ear into making the NCI understand that AY cancer is real and that we need the type of funding to move forward and get the scientists inspired to do really innovative work. I also just want to bring up, because Caleb, I think, you know, obviously coming from Africa and unfortunately being guilt and interfering, I'm part of the brain drain. You know, Africa, every 10 minutes a woman dies in Africa from cervical cancer. There are 500,000 cases of cervical cancer in the world. There are only 11,000 cases in the United States. That's how big the problem is in the developing world uh, or emerging uh, economies world. You know, right now, it's fascinating to know that there are more deaths from cancer in the developing world than people dying of AIDS, tuberculosis, or malaria. And more than 60% of all the deaths occur in the world occurred in those countries and in Africa. And in, they think by about 2020, there'll be 70% of the cases, new cases in the world, which will be about 15 million, will be in Africa. So Africa really is a country that, and a continent that has very low resources. In fact, they say only about 5% of all global resources for cancer are given to Africa. So what Caleb is trying to do is a gargantuan job, and I, you know, I applaud him and anything we can do to help is something we should do. Obviously, in those countries um, of Africa, they don't have a lot of, they have to get through the most basic of trying to diagnose cancer. Here in America, we're facing, as we're going to talk about tonight, oncofertility issues, which is really one of the, you know, tenants in my mind of, of what's good survivorship. And if survivorship begins on the day that someone has cancer, uh, then we need to all think about what we're doing for our patients and are we, in fact, addressing the needs that a young person has in relationship to their survival and, and their fertility. And Matt, as you just had been privileged and honored and blessed to have two wonderful children born, you understand what this may mean. But I think it's a fascinating topic and it's something that we can, as AYA movement, really push as well, which is not just about the cancer, the disease, but about cancer, the consequence. And what is that consequence? And fertility is, a, is an important issue that hopefully we can get a lot of discussion and hopefully a lot of good discussion at the OMG. Well, ex well said. I mean, again, the, the idea of these these barriers, you know, in these countries that we don't even face. I mean, we have we talk about barriers here in the United States. The idea that you know you're not worthy of being treated for care because you're cursed for having gotten a disease, that blows my mind. And, um, oh, I, we have a, uh, from the chat room a little comment yeah, for Lenny and, and Karen. If you could speak a little louder into your phones because the, the differential between our level and the chat room level is, uh, is very, very disparate. So if you could just speak a little louder uh, on the phones, that would be great. So just some feedback, live feedback from the people that actually care about listening to you, which is good stuff. <laughs> they care so much about what you're saying, they want to hear you. You got it. So, um, but going back to this idea of, um, you know, it's almost like a human rights issue that's layered on top of the cancer issue. I know Lenny and I have talked a lot about how far they've come in 
like the United Kingdom, for example, in England with the Teenage Cancer Trust, um, where are we in terms of the state of the state in the United States comparatively to westernized countries like the United Kingdom for young adults? I'll let Karen start. Um, I think in some ways further along, in other ways not as far along. I think um, the U.K. has been ahead of us for about a decade in getting the Teenage Cancer Trust um, philanthropic efforts behind the AYA movement. It may call it the TYA movement, and setting up um, freestanding inpatient units. That's something that just doesn't exist in the United States yet at all. Um, additionally, I think Australia is ahead of us in getting the government um, organizationally behind uh, the AYA movement. They got a huge uh, grant and are, are very, the, the government is very tied in with the organizations that do AYA work there. They have the advantage of obviously being a much smaller country, um, much smaller numbers, and so I think that they got organized a bit quicker. Now, I think that's well said. The only thing that's different, however, is in the United States, the age that we choose to call a Lenny, I'm sorry, we, we, we can't hear you. I don't know if I'm not going to ask you to shout, but is there any chance you could, you know, um, I'll keep come to New York? Louder. Can you hear me now? Oh, that's better. Better, yeah. Got my horizon. Um, basically, in, in America, we talk of an AYA population that goes to age 39. In the United Kingdom, Australia, and New Zealand, they only go to 25. I think that's a big difference. And therefore, we, we have a much bigger age group to deal with, and therefore, different diseases as well. What I call them the sort of British system is sort of a peri pediatric system. It's the, it's the people who, young adults, but still maybe having purely pediatric-like diseases versus a lot of the breast cancer that we see in cervical cancer we see in the United States. So that is the one other difference in addition to what Karen said that, that changes uh, between ourselves and them. I, I think that's an excellent point, and it means in the United States we have taken on a population that is truly really only served and maybe only appropriately served by medical oncologists, which means we have a much greater need for collaboration between pediatric and medical oncology, which is hard. And the uh, other countries have not um, had to overcome that as much. It, I think Lenny's point is true that it's more sort of expanding the age range that pediatric oncology takes care of. Let's go. Can I ask both of you? We're, we're having uh, lots of buzz in the chat room, obviously, about the practical um, consequences uh, in terms of fertility for the, the focus of tonight's show. Can we backtrack and just talk through the basics, but the sort of very latest of the basics? Somebody gets a diagnosis. Walk them through, both for a female, a young adult female, and a male, what questions they should ask, what they should know um, in terms of their fertility options. Do you want me to start, Lenny? Yeah. I'll start with easy. If I start, I get the easy one. So the males, <laughs> um, little has changed um, recently. 
and that is that uh, postpubertal males who uh, can ejaculate should and collect a sperm sample um, and, and freeze it. And that, in general, most people agree that that's not a bad idea no matter what kind of treatment you're getting, what kind of chemotherapy you're getting, um, because it's sort of insurance banked away. The caveats to that are there are certainly many, many cancer treatments, chemotherapy treatments that will not impair fertility and that that will be, have, it will have been an unnecessary step. You can test your fertility after treatment um, and then if you are still fertile, stop banking the specimen. Now that presumes that there is no cost to that insurance policy and there is. And we unfortunately still don't have universal coverage um, by insurance companies for that. So it can be cost prohibitive for people to do that, and I understand that. Thankfully, there are um, options for financial aid, um, and people should make sure that if cost is a barrier that they push those questions and find out if there are less expensive options, they should push their insurance company because sometimes an extra letter will get a little action. Um, but in general, that's sort of gold standard um, if you can financially do it, bank. And, fr and folks in the, fr are in the chat room are just flat out frustrated and asking, why isn't this yet covered by insurance? Well, I, I can try and answer that question. The, f the first question is that no fertility is covered by insurance. So there's a bigger issue in the, in the country, if you will. In, the, in Australia and in, in England, all fertility preservation, not only preservation, but all fertility assistive methodologies are paid for. Nothing's paid for in the United States. So it's not, this is the one time that we sort of lumped in being discriminated like everyone, everyone else who has fertility issues. So that's the one issue that is a big issue because it obviously means a bigger amount of money than we're talking. I think there's something interesting, Ann Partridge from Dana-Farber actually published something in JCO that said like about 57% of women um, who age 40 and younger if they diagnose breast cancer, they talk about fertility as a problem. 29% reported that fertility influenced their treatment decisions. And interesting, only 34% of women ever remember being talked to about fertility. So in the female sex, you know, we had the sperm, and you know, this year then they say this is the year of the egg. For a long time, oncologists didn't do anything about it. In 2006 is when the ASCO, American Society of Clinical Oncology, you know, came out with their recommendations. And there was a recent survey in the last year that showed only about 50% of the physicians actually still talk, talk to their patients. So if you half full, half empty glass, you could say, that's great, 50% talk to their patients. But it still meant 50% of the patients were not talked to. And the problem I think that we face is the, the audience who's listening to us has already had cancer or knows about cancer, and they know about to ask those questions. But a newly diagnosed female patient may not know to ask those questions. And if the oncologist is not really attuned to the issues of AYA, they not, may not bring it to their attention. So I think it's an awareness campaign that we need to get out there to oncologists around the country. Um, we are about to launch, as you know, the International Charter of Rights in London at the International Conference next month in June, and one of the rights is about fertility and the right to know about fertility. 
the all things that can be done for the female, it's still, however, a lot of it is still experimental. The, the first, quest, first thing you need to know is leukemias, lymphomas, and ovarian cancers are considered very high risk that, that you may not want to collect uh, the ovaries. So you have to collect the egg, which means you can do egg harvesting, but egg harvesting isn't always having a great success of putting them back later on if they're unfertilized. I just the want to try and repeat. I'm sorry to cut you off, Wayne. I just want to try and repeat what you're saying to the folks because I think they're still having trouble uh, hearing you. So you're speaking of, of egg harvesting now for ovarian cancer patients? Or, or any patient, so ovarian, leukemia, and lymphomas, you can't take the ovary out. You can only go for the egg. Right. So you can only do it either. You can. The best would be a fertilized egg in, in an embryo collection, or you can take egg harvesting. And the problem is egg harvesting, the, transi- the translation of egg harvest one day to a successful pregnancy, I would still say is experimental. Right. We're getting successes, but not as great as the success as we want. The other issue is obviously that the price is very expensive. You know, sperm banking, to be honest, is quite cheap compared to what we're talking about in female fertility options. I'm part of the Anka Fertility Consortium out of Northwestern. Unfortunately, Teresa Woodruff couldn't make it tonight, but that consortium has something called the National Physician Cooperative, and we have, through the clinical trials and through the NIH, a massive grant that, that is helping us, but it still amounts to paying money. And in fact, if it's not covered by insurance, it can cost up to $10,000 to get ovarian cryopreservation. In other words, taking the one ovary out and then freezing it away for later use, which again is going to cost a lot of money down the road. So the problem is there's a disparity. Male sperm preser- banking is cheap compared to what it costs to do female. But I'm worried that most women are not even offered this. And again, right. very few actually go through it because their doctors either don't know about it or it has to delay therapy or they don't know where to send it. So awareness, again, just getting that conversation started is always is always the first step um, when you're talking about 50% of these women not even having that conversation engaged, initiated by, by their doctor. And I think that that's an important thing for people listening who have maybe already been treated, may um, feel like this is a topic that they could turn around and and be an advocate for, that they can give back to the system by um, raising awareness at the place that they were treated and and, encouraging the cancer center to increase oncofertility education and preservation options. They can volunteer as a resource. Um, to speak to newly diagnosed patients, um, so that I think that cancer, young adult cancer survivors, this is a real opportunity um, to be an advocate and make a difference for future patients. Can we uh, move into a different, a different topic, related topic, but different topic is that we wanted to talk about this at the top of the show, um, but I thought you know it would make a lot of sense to see if you guys wanted to weigh in on this because it really I think applies much more to the young adult community than to the general uh, cancer population at large, which is this um, sort of schoolgirl fight going on between the President's Cancer Panel and the American Cancer Society about the impact of chemical toxins on cancer, uh, you know, development uh, and how it, you know, uh, do you, do you, if you're not very familiar with it, uh, I could talk more about it, but have you 
Have you read up on this, both of you? Yes. Um, so I've read up on it and obviously involved with it because my research is in epidemiology and we've discussed it. I think that the issue is that, you know, Otis Browley from the American Cancer Society sort of condemned it and, or at least said they maybe had overreaching goals uh, or, or, or they extrapolated the data too far. I think, however, there really needs to be a discussion with 80,000 chemicals in our society and everything we touch today has got some form of chemicals and pollution. I think we have to take into account. But it is correct, and I think this is very important to say, you know, infections, hepatitis and HPV are really a major cause. Obesity is a big problem, and we really need to address it. And again, shame on the Komen Foundation to accept money from Kentucky Fried Chicken. Shame on them for doing that. We also need to know that alcohol and smoking are still major causes of cancer in the society. And I think that we need to have a balance. We need to look for what young kids and babies are facing with being exposed to more chemicals than they've ever been in the history of the mankind. At the same time, we've still got these other terrible carcinogens that we know cause cancer that are still out there causing a problem. So I think a balance needs to be done. I think the ACS was silly in trying to condemn this panel uh, saying it was a bad thing. I think this panel did some good work, and it's going to need to be followed up, uh, and I think a lot of people will try and follow up. They just did prove, however, there was a big study in, in, in Europe, I don't know if you saw, guys, but basically said, again, cell phones did not seem to cause cancer, or at least the results were inconclusive. So a lot of work's been done. Cell phones still seem to be okay, uh, but we need to be a, we need to be looking for other causes of cancer, in the diseases that Karen and I deal with every single day and the diseases that everyone in ITY knows about, we don't know what causes cancer in the majority of cases. We have no idea. We can't early prevent because we don't know what causes it. Um, so I think looking for new chemicals and stuff makes sense. I think one of the things that I know that's frustrating for me, and we had um, Dr. Susan Love on our show uh, a few weeks back who obviously is esteemed and has many uh, bright things to say, and we were talking about this topic, and her, her take on it was when we got to the environmental factors, she said, well, I don't think that they come into play in the, in the young adult community because simply because I don't think that they would, young adults would be exposed to potentially toxic levels, toxic chemicals for a long enough period of time, given that they are young adults, that they would necessarily um, get cancer from that. And I personally find that a little bit frustrating and discouraging because, again, how would we possibly know that than other just to say that young adults are young? Um, but uh, any, your, your feelings on that? I, I agree with both your points, and I think it is, you know, we end up with the same place. We don't know. Yeah. And I think it's likely that young adults get cancer because of the combination of a predisposition. And by that, I don't necessarily mean a familial tendency, but they are genetically rigged you know, with a, a, a mutation. And then it may be a second hit that may be environmental. Now, whether that's a new environmental toxin or not, we don't know. I mean, there was there was plenty of cancer before plastics. 
were invented. I mean, yeah. there there are definitely new toxins, but um, the the rate of increase in cancer has not been so dramatic that we can blame only new toxins. Um, I think that's where it, it's the balance, that I think that what Otis Rawling is saying is true, that there are old causes, um, viruses and tobacco and, you know, things pre-existing current toxins that are still going to account for the vast majority of cancers. Does that mean that we should stop looking for these new environmental issues? No, but we shouldn't do a black-white switch of funding. Right, right. Um, I guess while we're on the topic, I'd just like to toss this on in while we're on the topic of things that cause cancer, and, and essentially I guess the answer we still, as you, as you both said, is we don't know. Um, but I was at a, um, uh, a, a breakfast uh, just the other morning where a oncologist here uh, in New York City from Lenox Hill Hospital stood up and addressed a room and very much uh, said that he was on board with stress as being a very bad thing when it comes to cancer. And, uh, and he's talking about his patients, um, obviously, in whom it's already been diagnosed. But either one of you, uh, you know, because there's, there's obviously, that's a big, you know, you just hear an everyday conversation, don't get stressed, don't stress, it causes cancer. <laughs> you know, you'll get cancer. Um, either of you would like to weigh, out, weigh in on the stress factor? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll take a first chance. Okay. Um, I think that, again, stress is like a very commonly used term, and I think everyone thinks of it as totally different. I think there have been lots of studies that show that it's been really hard to prove stress on its own as a single factor causes cancer or makes cancer work, in fact, makes cancer worse. In fact, that's probably not true. On the other hand, I think we still need to continue to study it because I think stress is related to biology and immunology and there's a really good study that was done in cervical cancer patients uh, actually at UC Irvine by Ed Nelson, who's an immunologist, and Larry Wenzel, who's a quality of life expert. And they, their study took cervical cancer patients, young women, and called them, and every day, in other words, did you know, support group, but really called sort of on the telephone all the time, and was able to show that immunologically those patients could have a better immune system, had a better response, and in fact had better outcomes. Now they just got a massive grant to look at that. It's related to stress and how you live your life as a cancer patient and how you get support going through it. That's why some of us believe psychosocial support is so important and integral to delivery of care in cancer. But I, I personally, in, in reading the data, and I mentioned what Cameron had to say, do not believe that stress is an individual factor is the cause of cancer. We all live our lives in a stressful way, so, you know, but I don't think that's the cause. I have a question for both of you, and this is so this, we've been canoodling in the chat room about this. Is there any longitudinal evidence to support that a vegan or vegetarian lifestyle actually reduces the risk of cancer? I don't know of any data that, that would support that statement. Yeah, Lenny, do you know about anything? I don't, but all I know is that in India, where massive Hindu population exists that are all vegetarian, um, they're unfortunately still getting cancer at a tremendous rate. So I don't think there's an, a study being done in the developed world 
that assured that being a vegan or being a vegetarian was that helpful. I mean, unfortunately, you know, Linda McCartney died of breast cancer and she right. was a vegan entire life. And I think, you know, it doesn't mean that it's not a bad, that's a bad thing to be a vegan or a good thing. It's probably really good for your heart. Depends if you don't substitute it for lots of other, you know, bad things. But they, we can't find pure direct correlations of diet. I think what we, we need to take is common sense. You know, we, obesity is probably not good for you in any part of your life. And if you look at from your heart and elsewhere and exercise, doing good exercise, eating well, we should take a, a page out of Michael Pollan's book who says in defense of food, you know, eat food, in other words, less processed food, eat more plants and vegetables and eat less animal. It probably is the best advice any of us could have in how to live a healthier life, and that may help us with cancer, but the answer is may. I also think we have to be really careful with all of these strong statements um, because, especially to a patient who's been recently diagnosed with cancer, uh, the suggestion that after a patient's been diagnosed that their diet or their stress level might have contributed to their diagnosis. Surely that is not helpful at that moment. Right. And, and you know, absolutely as a society, we should investigate causes and we should encourage as a general society people to eat healthy and reduce toxins and all that. But to have this sort of, I, I think, harmful guilt um, added to a cancer diagnosis is, is really unkind and, and and it's we're all reaching for the why I mean there's nothing there, there's no bigger question once you're diagnosed but why me why why um, and to potentially fill in the blank with half truths um, can be really harmful to a person I totally understand that. I could probably say that the only um, solace that I gained from that, because I was one of those young adults who at 29 felt that uh, stress had um, largely contributed to my breast cancer and, and did the kind of beating up on myself when I was diagnosed and thought, oh, I worry too much, I'm too stressed, somehow I caused this. Um, but the, o the only solace was when I, really the chips were down and I was facing this thing and thinking, oh, boy, am I in a pickle. <laughs> I've got to get my out of this is to think well if i if i believed that um i could bring it on myself then i'm going to assume that the flip side is is true if i feel like my psyche and my mind and my biology is all connected that i could have caused this and i'm going to just turn it around and and hopefully now cure it <laughs> you know and put all that negative energy and turn it positive and and the reverse must also be true so maybe that's if you're viewing it that way maybe that's uh one way where you can try to, you know, spin it back, spin it Absolutely. back around. Exactly. And, and but I'm not sure you have to believe the first to believe the second. I mean, it's right. very helpful right. to encourage people. I always say, you know, they say, can positive thinking help us? I, I just say, it sure can't hurt. Yeah, definitely. So just to sort of start wrapping up, I mean, clearly you guys are going to be at the OMG Summit next week. Uh, you're going to be sending me some questions. We've already gotten a bunch of questions from the crowd that will be uh, – giving you in advance um, no short supply of content and conversation to be had. But, and, and I believe that this is true when I make this statement, 
you know, we're not quite where we want to be, but we're much farther along than we used to be, especially when it comes to the young adult oncology, young adult cl- clinicality, young adult epidemiology. Is that a fair statement? Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> All nice, in agreement. Nice short answer. <laughs> Everyone's in agreement. Um, all right, well, I guess I, if you have any oh, – one other thing I wanted to ask you. People are talking about this in the chat room. It's, it's indirectly related, but to, as physicians, as doctors who, who treat cancer patients, and in, what role, if any, do you see the government having in overseeing nutrition in this country, i.e., you know, getting rid of the sugared sodas in schools, taxing sugar beverages, and now they're looking to force – regulations on salt content in processed foods. Yes, this is all being done in the larger picture of trying to reduce the population from falling victim to corporate greed because as long as you buy it, they'll still make it. But at the same time, you know, what, where do the medical community fall in terms of, you know, helping people be better advocates and not being sucked in by the man because the Big Macs are 99 cents, but or- organic vegetables are six bucks. I'll let you to start. <laughs> oh, uh, I was hoping you would say the opposite. Um, I, I mean, I, I think this does get into maybe even individual politics and uh, in, in how we see the role of government. Um, but I think that there are good examples in history of where the government has made a difference in the nation's health by stepping in, um, in the nation's education, in the nation's... I mean, I think that health and education are two areas where um, real regulation and input by the government is important and useful um, because it, it is such a global issue. It is such a basic right um, that I think... I personally feel strongly that the government should very much have a role in this kind of work. Well, there you have it. Lenny, final final thoughts? No, I, I agree with Karen. I think that there are certain things that the government should be doing in educating the public. It's what we do in public health, and I think it's really important. And I think when we are finding things medically, we need to educate the public, and we need to make sure you know, everyone knows what's going on. Well, thank you both for being on the show. I'm really sorry Teresa couldn't make it tonight. Teresa Woodruff, uh, Director of My Uncle Fertility at Northwestern University, uh, equal peer to everybody. Um, but I look forward to seeing you when you descend upon New York skies on Saturday, and um, it's going to be an amazing conference on Sunday. Can't wait. It's going to be awesome. Thank you. Look All right. Thank you, you great both. talking to you both. Thank you both. Take care of yourselves. Doctors Leonard Sender and Karen Albritton, young adult oncologist. Of the uh, of the guru world for young adults, they are the the de facto standards by which grand poobahs. Yes, the the absolute godfathers and godmothers and all good stuff, all good stuff. So um, yeah, I mean it's just funny to think that next Monday's show will be after the OMG summit, and you'll have Jack back and no me. It'll be the situation tonight in reverse. Oh God, <laughs> damn it! Who's going to ask all the questions other than you? I guess I'm going to have to brush up a little Amanda, bit. Amanda, you might have to step in. Yeah. There needs, there needs a brain. Yeah. I, I can do the brainy part. It's the jokes that I have a hard time with. <laughs> no, the collective <laughs> IQ of the room is going to just dip way below the national average. 
<laughs> we're in trouble next Monday, folks. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, we the summit is. Uh, I can't believe we've been planning for eight months. It's gonna be fantastic. It's in six days, uh, five days, and it's just it's overwhelming. So remember to submit your questions to the panelists that we will read your question at the summit to OMG Summit at i2y dot com. And uh, yeah, good luck, Jack. Congratulations, Leah Shear. Congratulations, Emily Hobson. Check out Cause World. And uh, we will see you all back here next week. Make after, it home uh, safely, Jack. Yeah, and, we do uh, wish that of you. Then the volcanic ash cloud hopefully will disperse Depart. itself <laughs> as Iceland melts into the Atlantic Ocean, flooding London, but he's coming out of uh, Pomplona, right? Okay. Right. All right. So, all right, folks, that is it. And now it is time for our closing Good sequence. Night, Good night, everybody. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, Internet. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. All right, folks. That's tonight's show. I hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. I'd like to thank our guests. I'm going to mess up his name again. Caleb Iguanu. Iguanu. Thank you. Iguanu. Doctors Leonard Sender and Karen Albritton. Honorary thank you to Dr. Teresa Woodruff. Next week's show. I'm just so excited. Next week's show is our post-OMG Summit wrap-up. In our Survivor Spotlight, Dory Blake. Dory. 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 From the Leukemia Lymphoma Society, Meg Harrison and Karen DeMero, my co-committee members, putting this whole thing together for the last eight months. All for you, people. If you've missed any of our previous shows, check out the archives at stupidcancershow.com or search for Stupid Cancer on the iTunes Store. Remember, if it's not stupid, it's not cancer. We'll see you all back here next week live from the Kilo Deck. Jack Buffard from Spain, Lisa Bernhard. Hola. Amanda Freeman, Captain Stubing, and Yo Soy Mateo wish you all a great week. Go to bed, Ann Kramer. Fokker out. Love.